right, if you have a Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Father, in the name of Jesus, how grateful we are to be here this morning. Thankful, Lord, for your presence. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that it will spread around the world and that everyone who believes upon it can be saved and will be saved. And so, Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. Now open up our hearts as we hear. May we be encouraged and strengthened as a result of your goodness and grace. In Jesus' name, everybody says amen. amen. One last thing, I do want to thank everybody for uh, such an awesome uh, Pastor Appreciation Sunday. It was, uh, uh, we had a, we had a, I got a lot of cards, a lot of encouragement, and I really, really appreciate that. The dinner was, was very good. Um, I had to kind of scoot out as soon as I was done eating to go watch uh, Avery play in a soccer tournament, which they won. That's right. We beat South Hills and West Side. Um, and so, uh, uh, but I, I really appreciate the love of this church uh, praying for me and being, and being there for me through uh, thick and thin and through uh, what's going on in my life. And I appreciate your, your trust uh, that you're still here listening to me yammer. So God bless you. Um, I, I forgot my phone today, so I don't know what time it is. So someone throw a shoe at me if I go too long. All right. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning, I'm just going to read two verses of scripture. Uh, these are two, uh, two verses that most of you have probably heard if you've been around the church at any time. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed in the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. The message I want to share with you this morning is called, entitled, An Atmosphere of Transformation. An atmosphere of transformation. Transformation is a, is a big word that, that is kind of popular and, and, and a lot of people want to use and you see it on, on social media and there's always advertisements for some way to transform your life, right? How many of you have seen those advertisements? If you follow this diet, exactly, it'll transform your life, right? If you take these gummies, right, it'll transform your life. Uh, if you follow these steps, it'll transform your finances. If you do all these things, it'll transform your marriage or it'll transform your business, right? Just follow all these steps. All you have to do is send me money and I will help you transform your life. How many of you, wouldn't it be great if transformation was in a pill, right? Some of you are really relying on those pills. Exercise? Ah, I'll just take a handful of pills. Setups, I'll just strap that little thing that vibrates your ab muscles. While I'm eating popcorn, watching football, I'm getting a six-pack. It's the wrong six-pack, right? Um, transformation is something that we're always looking at. I want to transform how I look. I want to transform how I feel. I want to transform my finances. So Here's all the things you need to do to transform your life. And I, and I get it. I'm not saying that some of these things aren't good advice. I'm not saying that these steps that you follow don't work. But most of the time, transformation is not something that takes place just simply because you pluck down a few dollars and somebody sends you a list and your life is going to be transformed. I get it. Now, we all understand what an atmosphere is, right? We, we, an atmosphere kind of is the tone or the mood uh, of a place. Um, you can, how many of you, you can feel an atmosphere? You can walk into a room and you can already tell whether the, you're in a good atmosphere or a, or a bad atmosphere. So when we talk about atmosphere, it's very important um, for growth, any type of growth or, or, or helping us um, 
get to a different place. Even our, you know, our plants need a certain type of atmosphere in order for them to grow. Our, our children need to be in a certain type of atmosphere in order for them to, to grow and be healthy and to learn and so forth and so on. Some places we, re- we recognize that we, we like or dislike just because of the atmosphere. Uh, have you ever went into a restaurant and the food is good, but you're just sitting around going, how? Why? Right? I've, I've been in restaurants where like, man, this food is good, but I don't know if they scraped it off the floor in the back. Right? Uh, but there are certain places that we like just because of the atmosphere. And lots of times it's because of, you know, maybe how it's decorated or uh, the way it's um, designed. Right? I mean, we try to set up a particular type of atmosphere here in the church. We want to we wanna make sure everybody's comfortable so, so that you can worship Jesus. Because God forbid we would worship him when we're uncomfortable. Right? Sometimes it has to do with the temperature or just the overall feel of the place, right? That creates an atmosphere. We know that people can affect atmospheres. Uh, there, there are people that walk into a room and, and you're like, yeah, I'm glad they're here. And then there's people that walk in a room and you're like, I need to leave. <laughs> right? Because as soon as they come into the room, the atmosphere changes. Everybody goes from laughing and having a good time to all tense and uptight. And, right? How many of you work with people? You got to walk on eggshells. Right? Don't point at the person beside you. Some of you are married to them. Some of you are best friends with them. Right? Got to walk on eggshells around them. Right? They change the atmosphere when they come into the room. So we know it's important. And we know that we have probably all at some point in time experienced the atmosphere of a good church service. Right? A good church service. Uh, where, where we come in and, 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 and as soon as we walk through the door, you can kind of sense something in the air. Right? You sense something in the air. Something, it's a little bit electrifying. And, and lots of times before the church service starts, if it's a good atmosphere, everybody's yapping. You ever notice that? When there's a good atmosphere, everybody's, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Yeah. Don gets up to, to make announcements and has to tell everybody to shut up. Shut up! <laughs> right, because we're all happy to see each other. We're all glad to be here. But when there's a bad atmosphere in the church, right, we're all a bunch of grumps. Nobody's talking to each other. You know, y'all got an extra hour of sleep. And I'm still almost late. You know, I lost track of time. I don't know what happened. I was piddling around the house doing whatever. The kids are sitting over there poking around on their phone. I'm doing stuff. Look over. It's 915. I'm like, what happened? Where did the time go? Right? But when we come into it, we've all experienced those church services where um, God is, we can sense that God is moving. God is, is doing something. There's an excitement. There's a joy in the air. And we realize that our attitudes and our, and our perspectives come in one way, but when the service starts, they start to change, right? You ever came to church, and you are a grumposaurus, and then as the service goes along, God starts softening your heart, whether it's during the worship service or during the word. Some of you, it takes all the way to the altar call before you stop being a grump. Some of you need to come to the altar call just because you are a grump. Right? For some of us, like, so right out of the gate, worship starts. We're like, woohoo, Jesus! Some of you, it takes four songs, and it's got to be the right song. <laughs> no, I don't like that one. Next. Uh, we sang that two weeks ago. Next. Right? Whether it's from the worship, 
whether it's from the Word, our hearts can be lifted to a new place. Our hearts are lifted to a new perspective. We come in and we don't necessarily feel free, but we walk out of the building feeling free. Now, I, I get it. First of all, we understand that our walk of faith is not based upon feelings, but we do recognize that when God moves in our lives, it does come with a certain level of freedom feeling, right? Where a burden is lifted or joy is placed in our hearts or where peace uh, comes in the midst of our chaos. And so what I want to say today is that this type of atmosphere is what we're wanting to build in our spiritual lives because this is an atmosphere of transformation or an atmosphere of change. And this is the call of every believer. This is the call of sanctification is that even though we are born again believers washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, God is not done with us and that there is a work that he is continuing to do in our lives. We recognize that God is calling us more and more to be transformed. Romans 12, we know, tells us that we are called to be transformed by what? The renewing of our minds in contrast to being conformed to the world. We are called to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we're not conforming to the world. And Paul paints a picture of what this transformation looks like in this passage by describing it as being changed in the same image from glory to glory. Now, I recognize that lots of times we want to compare ourselves to each other, and the Bible tells us that that's not wise. I'm not supposed to compare myself to you. You're not supposed to compare yourself to me. It's not wise. It puts us in, in destructive places because we, it will create condemnation and guilt. Uh, but you're not supposed to be like me. What we're being transformed into, though, is the image of Jesus Christ. So the ultimate goal of spiritual growth is to be changed into the image of the glory of the Lord. Sanctification's work is to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. That as Christians, as people who are meant to be Christ-like, sanctification is meant to get us there. The Christian growth track is marked by going from one degree of glory to another. Now, how many of you admit that sometimes life doesn't feel like that? You're not going from glory to glory, right? You're, instead of going from glory to glory, you're going from issue to issue. And from problem to problem, and situation to situation, and aggravation to aggravation. I've went from one degree of mad to another degree of mad. Some of you live that way every day, right? We, we, we recognize that, that, that sometimes our lives are not marked that way. Sometimes church services don't have the atmosphere that make us feel just right, as though that's the job of the church, is to make you feel good, right? I mean... There are a lot of people that do go to church to feel good. I didn't come here to not feel good. <laughs> right? <laughs> but sometimes transformation means you're not going to feel good. How many of you admit to that? Right? If you want to get in better shape, exercise hurts. <laughs> it's not always fun. I mean, some of you, you're, you're sadistic and you enjoy it. But uh, for the most part... It's not always fun. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes dis discipline. It takes a decision if you're going to get in better shape physically. We recognize that transformation is not always easy. Sometimes our prayer life and our spiritual walk can 
can become a little stale. And sometimes our Bible reading can become dry. The Christian life is not always easy. Not to mention we don't like change. We don't like change to happen. We've been doing it a certain way. This is the way I've always done it. I don't want to change anything. But if we don't embrace change, then we're probably never going to grow. Growth typically demands that we change. Now, I'm not saying that we change things just for the sake of changing, right? Well, we're going to change it just because we should change it, right? That's not, that's not necessarily good either. But we can't stay stuck in the same rut of doing things if we expect to get where God wants us to go. And that's the challenge that God has placed upon our lives. We have to recognize that we can affect the atmosphere of our spiritual lives. We have to learn to embrace the change that God wants to work in us. Many times we can't see situations change until we change. I want to say that again. We're working really, really hard to get our circumstances to change when what might need to change is you. Right? I, listen, I'm not, try, I'm not trying to downgrade, or, 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 but you know, the, there's a big like, movement a phrase like, you know, be you, just proud to be you. And, and I get, I get it, right? We're trying to teach kids to have good self-confidence and to see themselves a certain way. Even Nickelodeon, my kids still watch Henry Danger and Nickelodeon, they have this kid, that song, they're all dancing around, be proud to be you, you know, be yourself and don't worry about what anybody thinks about you. And I'm like, but what if you're a pain in the neck? <laughs> What if you're rude and angry all the time? What, what, if, what, if, what if nobody likes you? Then quit being you. I get it. I understand. People need to love me for who I am. Well, I get it. But maybe who you are is too hard to love. As Christians, as believers, as we're walking with Christ, our desire is to become more and more like Christ, to become more and more like Him, less like us, more like Him, loving like Him, for extending grace like Him, serving like Him, being, being someone who, is, who, who people would see and say, hey, that's someone I would like to emulate. We have to recognize that just as it is our responsibility to create and shape the atmosphere of our hearts, to create and shape the atmosphere of our homes. It's our responsibility to keep ourselves in the place where God is able to work His transforming power in us. And so, before we start yelling at our circumstances, before we start yelling at our situations, maybe we need to start looking at our hearts. Maybe we need to start looking at our spiritual lives, our spiritual condition. So what is the atmosphere of transformation? What, what is the atmosphere that produces God-ordained, God-directed change? Because, again, lots of times when we think about change, we think about changing something on the outside. Which There's, no, there's nothing wrong with, with working on outer change. But we have to recognize that if eventually we don't deal with what needs to change on the inside, then we're just going to go back to doing what we've always done. So what is the atmosphere of change? Number one, it is a work of the Spirit. And this is the, the most important thing that we have to recognize here this morning. And Paul makes this point. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's what? 
Liberty. There's liberty, there's freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So that means if bondage is present, somehow, some way, the Spirit is not being allowed to work. Right? We have to recognize that God works all transformation, all change in our lives through the Holy Spirit. We know that salvation itself is a work of the Spirit in our lives. Nobody can come to Christ unless the Spirit draws them. It is the Spirit that brings life to us when we place our faith and our trust in Christ. The Christian life is supposed to be marked by the Holy Spirit. Everything that we do is supposed to be marked by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says we're called to live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, be empowered by the Spirit. Because Paul tells us the place of transformation, the place of freedom, the place of liberty is in the atmosphere of the Spirit of God. This is the place of transformation. Now, Paul's context in this chapter is he's, he's, moving, he's talking about moving from the glory of the Old Testament that was manifested through law and could only be seen in the person of Moses Like he talks about in here, when Moses came off the mountain, he had to put a veil over his face because the glory of the Lord was resting on him so greatly that if the people looked at him, they might fall over dead. And this was the glory that they experienced. Paul even said when they read the Old Testament to this day, there's still a veil over their face because they're not fully seeing the true glory that God has called us to bring. But Paul says we have gone from that glory to the glory brought to us by the work of Christ that is, that is not manifested through law, but manifested through the Spirit of God. This is, the, this is the defining characteristic between the Old and the New Testament, that we are no longer just following laws written on stone. The law has been written on our hearts. We are no longer made just just and righteous by the actions that we do, but by the work of the Spirit through faith are we justified in the sight of God. So if we are spiritually frustrated in a place of no change, it might be because we're relying more on flesh than we are spirit. Paul told the Galatians that there is a struggle between the flesh and the Spirit. The only thing we are meant to do with our flesh is kill it. Put it to death. If we are alive, Paul said, because of the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. When we try to rely more on fleshly ways of fixing ourselves, then we are not submitting our hearts to the ways of the Holy Spirit. We are meant to submit ourselves to His working so that He can shape us and He can mold us. If we are not people of the Spirit, we need to learn to hear from Him and learn to know Him and learn to walk with Him. Because it's the Spirit that's going to transform our lives, is going to change who we are on the inside. It's when we say no to fleshly desires and yes to the drawing of the Spirit of God That's when transformation begins in our life. This is the work of sanctification in our hearts. So it's a work. The atmosphere of transformation is a work of the Spirit. Number two, it is the love of God. All transforming work is a result of God's love for us. How many of you know that? John 3.16 is the nutshell of the gospel, and it tells us that we're saved because, first and foremost, God so loved 
Because God loved a fallen, sinful world, He sent His Son into this world. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That God demonstrated His love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we recognize that it is always a work of the love of God. Every encounter that Jesus had when you read the Gospels was motivated by love and compassion. Every challenge he gave, every person that he confronted, every call to follow him was from his love for their lives. Whether it was Nicodemus who came to him at night, his response to him was not judgment but love. Or the woman at the well, his response was not to embarrass her but to love her into the kingdom of God. The woman who was being stoned, about to be stoned for committing adultery. Where are your accusers? Neither do I. Before he ever told her, don't sin anymore, he said, I'm going to love you anyway. When he looked at the rich young ruler who said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The Bible says Jesus looked at him and loved him. Said, go sell all that you have. So before he confronts, he loves. Now, I'll be honest with you. Many times the church gets that backwards. We do get that backwards, especially in the culture that we're living in. I get it. I feel like in a lot of cases the church got quiet, too quiet, and because of that a lot of stuff has taken over our culture, our society that could have been stopped by a church that stood up and spoke the truth. But as the pendulum swings lots of times, our first desire is to go out and start beating people up. Let me bang you over the head with a Bible and tell you how awful you are and how you need to repent before the wrath of God falls on your head. Right? Lots of times that that becomes, but that can't be our motivation. Our motivation, what the world needs to see is that there's a God that loves them even in the middle of their mess. Even in the middle of their sin, their brokenness, their hopelessness, there is hope through a God who loves them. So this means that transformation comes from mercy and grace, not from our own effort. This means that transformation cannot come through condemnation. It can't come from us beating ourselves up. It comes from recognizing that change is a result of grace, not law. Even as parents, we have to understand that if all we ever give our kids is law and never grace, it will not change them. What they end up doing is getting bitter at the law. And if all we do as Christians is base our life on a list of do's and don'ts, and this is how I'm going to fix myself, then we're not recognizing that holiness itself is a result of grace. Transformation only happens when we learn to rely on God's grace and mercy. Jude tells us that we are keep ourselves in the love of God. Keep yourself in God's love. We create an atmosphere of transformation when we remind ourselves of God's faithful love for us. When we remind ourselves that I'm not trying to work or perform to get His attention. His love is not based on my performance. His love is based upon His character. His grace is not extended to me because I deserve it. Because if I did, it's no longer grace. I merited it. If I deserve it, then I merited it. I have merited nothing from him except his grace and love. And that's a result of not my work, but Jesus' work. So if I want to see things transform in my life, I need to keep myself in the love of God. Number three, the atmosphere of transformation is based in the word of God. 
All transformation comes from applying God's word to our lives. We know that the renewing of the mind that Romans 12 instructs us to do is done by filling our minds with the word of God. There has to be a commitment to God's word in our life if we want to change, if we want to grow. It is literally the ground for our victory or defeat. Why? Because transformation comes through, by grace through faith. And faith is built by the word. Our faith is grounded upon God's character as it is revealed to us through the word of God. Whether the word of God makes us laugh and smile or whether it makes us say, ouch, and recognize something needs to change, we have to ground our lives in this word. So faith is built by the word and the atmosphere of transformation is one of deep abiding faith in the promises and the commandments of God. It is fueled by faith-filled obedience. And as I've said many times before, Lots of times through the New Testament, there is very little difference between obedience and faith. You you can't obey if you don't have faith. And you're not walking in faith if you don't obey. Am I right? Right? A a life full of faith is going to produce obedience. And so because of that, when we walk in obedience to God's commands, when we live in expectation of His promises then it produces an atmosphere for God to work in our lives. But when we allow doubt and unbelief and skepticism to get in, when we start speaking doubtful words and thinking doubtful thoughts, then it plants all kinds of seeds that produces an atmosphere that makes it hard for God to work in our lives. The Bible says Jesus went to his hometown and could not do any mighty works there because of their unbelief. Except that he healed a few sick folk. Even in the midst of unbelief, Jesus is still out there healing sick folk. Right? Lots of times God cannot do His fullest work in us because we're not founding our lives on what His Word says. The Word is what's going to protect us from the lies of a culture that is committed to darkness and death. It's a two-edged sword that is living and powerful, piercing to the very division of our soul and our spirit. The Bible says that the Word of God is able to make us wise and it's profitable for instruction in righteousness. Peter said we are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God which lives and abides forever. The grass withers and the flower thereof falleth away, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. So we recognize that what God does in our lives is works through our word, his word. If you want to hear from God, read your Bible. Please, I don't have any problems with coffee cups. I got no problems with stickers. I got no problems with the magnets on your refrigerator. But if that is your knowledge of the Bible, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. If your T-shirt is the only Bible verse you know, you're not going to make it you got to know what the Bible says. Read your Bible. Read context. Read around that favorite verse of yours. You might recognize that it's not actually saying what you thought it said. <laughs> right? I remember there was, I heard a preacher who preached a whole sermon on, there's a passage in Habakkuk chapter 1 where the Bible says that God is going to do something in your day that you wouldn't believe if it was told of you. And he just preached this whole sermon about revival. And I started reading. I'm like, it's talking about judgment. 
God's going to judge people in a way that you're not even going to believe it. That's not what you're saying. We have to recognize it. We've got to allow the Word to do its work in us instead of us trying to work the Word the way we want it to be. Whether it makes us comfortable or uncomfortable, let's hear what God has to say to us. A life that is shaped by the Word of God is a life that's being transformed from glory to glory. It's going to happen when you shape your life around God's Word. Number four, there's five of them, just to let you know. Number four, the atmosphere of transformation is repentance. Now, I know, we all want to hear sermons that make us all feel good. Mark, why? Why? Ryan already beat us up Wednesday. Why? Why do we have to talk about repentance, right? We have to recognize in order to be truly transformed, to be truly changed in the same image from glory to glory, our hearts must have an atmosphere of repentance. Now, as I said, every encounter that Jesus did was, was based upon love. But if you read the Gospels, what was John the Baptist's first sermon? Repent. But what was, when Jesus started his ministry, what was his first sermon? Repent. Right? On the day of Pentecost, what was Peter's sermon? Repent. When Paul started his missionary journeys, what was his first message? Repent. Repentance is the grounds for transformation. It is the message of the gospel. It is the message of John the Baptist, Jesus, Peter, Paul, of all the apostles, repent. We cannot talk about change if we don't talk about our hearts being cleansed. The atmosphere of change and transformation is a place where sin is taken seriously and we do not allow it to take root in our lives. Listen, Jesus loves us. He wants the best for us. He is for us and not against us. But we have to recognize that if we come to light, it will expose darkness. That if we come to grace, it will bring us to a point where we must deal with our sin. And we can dance around the issue and talk about how God is a loving God and doesn't care what we do, but that is not biblical. I get it. I can't make myself clean because I work out my own salvation. I can't. That's not what that passage of Scripture means. I cannot get clean because I fix myself. I can't. I am a sinner, and I am separated from God except by grace except by his goodness, right? But Jesus said, if your hand offends you, what should you do with it? Cut it off. If your eye offends you, what do you do? Pluck it out. Now, we know that Jesus is speaking in hyperbole. Obviously, he's not telling anyone to go out, cut their hand off, because you can cut your hand off and still be a thief with the other hand. Right? You can pluck your eye out and still lust with the other eyeball. You can lust without either one of your eyeballs. Right? The point is not that if you do these things, you know, obviously we're not going to get into heaven because we've got limbs cut off. Right? We're getting into heaven because of grace. But what Jesus is saying is he's emphasizing the fact sin is this serious. It is this serious. And if we play with it, it eventually will kill us. It does nothing else. Sin does nothing else but steal, kill, and destroy. That's all it does. 
Whether it feels good, whether we can justify it, whether somebody else is sinning worse than we are, it doesn't matter. The wages of sin is still death. So we have to recognize we cannot, be, we cannot expect to be transformed if we don't deal with the sin that keeps us from growing. The Bible says that the race that we are running, we are to lay aside every weight and sin which does so easily beset us, which does so easily, which trips us up so easily. Now, we could do a whole sermon on weights because the weights are not necessarily sin. But we do have to put aside the sin that is causing us to trip, that's causing us to keep us from growing, and the sin that we are committing that is causing others not to be able to grow. Some of us think that we sin in a vacuum. We never do. Our actions always affect someone else. They'll always come out in a way that we wish they didn't, right? And you know the old phrase, sin will always take you farther than you ever thought you would go. It'll keep you longer than you ever thought you would stay, and it will always cost you more than you ever thought you could pay. It always will. So if you're in a place right now where you're playing, flirting with sin, recognize the danger and recognize that we can't transform as long as we're playing with sin. Man, all y'all were laughing a minute ago. Paul told the Thessalonians that they were to keep themselves from idols. Now, what's so interesting about that is that the, the, the church at Thessalonica was, was praised by Paul because of their uh, work of faith, their labor of love. It, it was one of the churches that he had very little negative things to say about them. For a matter of fact, he said in the chapter 1, you guys ran from idols, but he still commands them, let me remind you, keep yourself from idols. Just as we are told to keep ourselves in the love of God, we are to make sure that our hearts are free from the idols that stand in the way of God's work in us. How many of you know that Jesus is not shy in turning over tables? Jesus is not shy on stomping through your little temple and turning over tables. He will knock gods down. But remember, as we sang in the worship song, it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. This is not about us trying to fix ourselves. This is not us trying to do better. This is still the work of grace. Repentance is a result of grace. And that's why I say many times, if we have not truly repented, it's because we have not truly experienced grace. And if we don't take sin seriously, it's probably because we haven't experienced grace either. Number five, and this one, I don't know, probably won't make you shout either. But if you want to be transformed, if you want to grow spiritually, it comes through adversity. This is the one we don't always want to acknowledge, but adversity uh, many times will create an atmosphere that it takes to truly be changed. Isaiah told Israel that they had been chosen in the furnace of affliction. We have chosen you in the furnace of affliction. That he tried them and refined them through adversity. Joseph never got, as Pastor Don has been preaching, never got to the second most powerful person in Egypt till he went through adversity. Daniel never had the fullest impact on the kingdoms that he was under until he went to the lion's den. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to dance in fires to get the attention of the king. Right? God refines us in fire. The flames of life sanctify us, and they draw us to God in ways that nothing else can. Unfortunately, there are times in our lives where we don't learn to truly draw near to God until we're going through something. But the fact of the matter is, you never know you had faith until you've been in a good fight. The process isn't easy, but we emerge with a stronger faith and a deeper dependence on God. And that's where transformation takes place, with with a stronger faith and a deeper dependence on God. You, You go talk to men and women of faith, folks that have been in the way for years. Not in the way as in get out of my way, but they've been walking in the way for years that have a strong faith, that have not given up. They're still here. They're still praising. They're still worshiping. They're still giving God thanks. They're still testifying. They didn't walk away. They didn't give up on God. You ask them, have they been through anything? And I can promise you they have. Some of them have been to hell and back. Some of them have been through stuff that if, if, if it were told us, we wouldn't believe it. Right? I mean, there's, there's some of you that's been through things. I don't know how you made it, but here you are. You're still worshiping. You're still praising because adversity did what it was supposed to do. It drew you closer to God. How many times? How many times have we seen people who have come to Christ? They give their lives to God. They seem to be excited about Jesus, but the first time something bad happens, they fall away from God. Lots of times it's because we have a Santa Claus view of God. I want to sit on his lap, ask him to give me whatever I want. He's going to throw it down a chimney. I'm never going to have to go through anything. I'm never going to have to face anything. I'm never going to have to fight any battles. We all thought we were going to skip to heaven through beds of roses, which have thorns, so maybe tulips or something. It's not the fact that we will have adversity in life that we have to question. You will, period. Peter said, why do you think it's so strange? that you're going through a fiery trial. Why? Why are you so shocked? I mean, Jesus even said, first of all, if the world hates me, it'll hate you. So the world's not for you. If you're waiting for the world to cheer you on, they're not going to. So it's not the fact that we're questioning, is adversity going to come? That's going to happen. What we need to consider is our attitude towards what's happening. It can make us, it can break us. It can either show our faith or show our shallowness. But in the midst of hard times, transformation can come. Listen, we don't always volunteer to go through hard times of life. We don't always volunteer to go through what we've gone through. We didn't choose to put ourselves in this position. That doesn't mean that decisions that we made didn't get us here. doesn't mean that it's always someone else's fault. Have you ever noticed... Some of y'all have some kids, got grandkids. Have you ever noticed that there's something happening at school? It's always the teacher. It's never the kid, right? Well, I've got 17 Fs, but it's because my teacher did what? Like all of them? Every one of them? Every assignment? Maybe it's because you didn't do it. Maybe it's because you need to shut up. Right? It's our natural reaction to blame other people. So I get it. Sometimes adversity is caused by other people 
And I can't control that, but I can control how I respond to it. I can control how I react to it. I can, I can submit myself to the work of God in the middle of this crucible and allow Him to shape and mold my life. Or I could grow bitter and live in unforgiveness. I can go off the deep end into sin and fleshliness. Or I could commit my heart to Christ that He's going to get me through what I'm going through. God is calling us to transformation, to be changed into the image of His Son. We should not be satisfied with staying in our spiritual position. We're staying in our spiritual condition. We are called to go from glory to glory. I want to experience glory, not the outskirts of it. I don't want, I don't, I don't want Moses to go to the mountain and hear what God says and then come tell me. I want to go to the mountain myself. I want to go from glory to glory. And so my challenge to us today is let's create an atmosphere that makes it possible for God's transforming power to work in our lives. Let's not make any excuses, but let's work to make our hearts, our homes, our families, our workplaces, an atmosphere where God is able to work, where God is able to move. And it all begins with the work of the Spirit in our lives. It all begins with us learning how to be people of the Spirit, people who walk in the Spirit, submit and commit ourselves to the Spirit. So I challenge you here today, if you find yourself relying more on flesh or religion or deeds, learn to walk in the Spirit. Learn to trust in the love of God, to work His purpose in your life. Hear what God's Word has to say. And when He calls us to repentance, recognize that repentance is not a place that we should fear. It's a place we should run to. Repentance is not a place of judgment. It's a place of freedom. It's a place of cleansing. Conviction is not meant to condemn. Conviction is meant to free. So allow God to help you today. I don't know what you may be going through. You guys know what I've been going through for the last few months of my life. and I, would, I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what bad report you've gotten. I don't know what it is that you're facing but I want you to know right now, your adversity has purpose. And God will use it for his glory. And so today, maybe you're in a place that, man, you just you want to see it change. Let's just believe God for a move of his spirit in our lives to transform us. If you're in this building today and you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, maybe you're away from God right now and you know that you are, and you need Jesus to rescue your heart, today is your day of transformation. Today is your day that you can know life. And I challenge you, if, if you sense his conviction, don't run from God. Run to God. The Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. If he's calling you, that's when you must answer. I don't know what you're, ha- what you're facing right now. Some of you, there's some of you maybe you felt like quitting. You felt like giving up. You find yourself going in the wrong direction. To, to, to satisfy or to fill the emptiness of your life. Some of you, maybe even suicide has crossed your mind. And you just feel like you're worthless and you're unworthy. I just want you to know that transformation is a result of God's love for you. Not his anger, not his wrath, his love for you. His absolute faithful commitment to your transformation. And if you need that grace today, I invite you to this altar.